So today we're wrapping up, like Rick said, our series in the parables. Imagine if, imagine if these stories that Jesus told were to be lived out by his people. Imagine what our world, what our city, what our lives would look like if we took these parables and lived them out. We're playing an imagination game. And this is the last one in the series. And it's been such a fun series, spending the summer in Jesus' words, in the red letters, so to speak. So today we're going over the parable of the minus. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Is this anyone's favorite parable? Go ahead and raise your hand. Anyone heard of this parable? A few of you? Okay, great. This is Luke 19. And uh, we're going to start in verse 11 and read from there. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you're not there, say, hold up. Okay, I'm going to hang out for just a second. Luke 19, starting verse 11. Here we go. As they heard these things, he, this is Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minus and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received a kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minus more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came to him, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minus. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities." Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest." And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minus. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minus. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. You know, whenever you hear the word slaughter in church, you just go, oh, this is going to be one of those sermons. <laughs> so this is uh, maybe even a forgotten parable. Raise your hand if you were here when I taught on the parable of the talents. Raise your hand. A few of you? Okay. Notice some similarities, right? Very similar. Now, whenever we see a parable with this many similarities to another parable, uh, the temptation is to read through it and be like, I got it. I know, I know the message. I understand what's going on. We went through the parable of the talents already. I understand this one too. But there's some really key differences between the parable of the talents and the parable of the minus. And it's in those differences that we find beauty and we find meaning today. So let's dive in. Before we do, before we, I like, I like to add a little bit of color, a little bit of background to where Jesus is as he's telling these stories. Did anyone notice the neighborhood we're in? 
Where, where is Jesus? Does anyone know where Jesus is as he's telling this parable? If you look at your Bible, there's clues. Near Jerusalem, that's good. Any more specifically? Look, look, in, look in the paragraphs above. He's with Zacchaeus. Does anyone know what city Zacchaeus lived in? Jericho is correct. Jericho is about 10 miles northeast of Jerusalem. If I'm Jerusalem, Jericho is about up here. Now, when you hear Jesus tell parables and talking about how people went down to Jericho, the reason why they say that is elevation. It was lower than Jerusalem, but it's northeast. So he's 10 miles away, roughly. He's, not, he, he's at Zacchaeus' house, which is crazy. I think we all know the story. Anyone seen the flannel graph? Yeah, a few of you? Okay, that's great. I think Peter Jackson directed that one. Yeah, anyways. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read just a little preamble. I don't want to go through the whole Zacchaeus story. We get it. We know the song. Anyone want to sing the song, volunteers? Okay, that's fine. That's, no, 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 don't sing. Stop, stop, wherever you are. Okay, I'm going to read starting in verse 8, okay? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, we would do well to remember that when this book was written, there was not a big paragraph break there with a little title that says the parable of the ten minus. That's not how the text was written down. So let's look. Look at how it progresses. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's verse 10. Verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He's at the dinner table with Zacchaeus. We know this moment, but this parable is always left out of the Zacchaeus story. Although it happens at his house, this is where Jesus is. And he's telling it because the Jews are thinking this is the moment the kingdom of God is going to come. Why would they be thinking this? If you guys remember from when I taught on the parable of the mustard seed, the Jews had a very firm picture of what they thought the coming kingdom was going to look like. Remember, we went back to Daniel and we watched, uh, we read through the prophecy of the dream of these kingdoms coming and all these different kings with their different glories and the different powers and the different mights. And then they had an image of the kingdom of God coming like a boulder tumbling down off a mountain and destroying all the other kingdoms and then becoming a mountain and being an eternal kingdom forever and ever. And the reason why they're thinking this, that this is about to happen, is because they believe Jesus is the Messiah, and how close to Jerusalem is he? 10 miles. He's mar he actually, since Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. This is the last thing before he enters the Jerusalem area. This is it. He set his face it's been 10 chapters of Jesus journeying towards Jerusalem. This is the crescendo moment. And they think, now it's going to happen. So, to combat this idea that the kingdom of God is going to come fully inaugurated right then, Jesus tells this story. Shall we dive in? Okay. Verse uh, 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, 
we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Okay, I'm going to pause there. A lot just happened. We've, we've been introduced to characters, there's been action, there's been commands. So we have a nobleman. Now, when we read this, it's a little confusing, right? Because there's a nobleman who's called to a far country to receive a kingdom. That doesn't quite make sense to how we do politics in our American heads. You know, you've got politicians rise up from within or whatever overthrow, but you've got to remember this is the first century Roman-occupied Israel. Who's king of Israel right now? Anyone know? Herod. That's right. You can't, get, you can't go wrong by saying Herod because there's like four of them in a row. <laughs> Herod. Now, Herod received his post from the Roman emperor. That's, that's how the local kingdoms worked, is that you would go to Rome, receive your authority, your posting, and then you'd come back and then rule. So that's what's going on here. I know it doesn't quite make sense first read-through, but that's what's going on. And it would have made sense to the first audience. There's a nobleman, He's been called to go and receive the authority for his kingdom. And so before he leaves, he gathers how many servants together? Ten servants. How many were in the parable of the talents? Three servants. Okay, first difference. Write that down. Okay. So he calls them together, and he gives them a command. He gives them a minus. A minus, by the way, is about two to three months wages for a day laborer, as opposed to a talent, which is 20 years worth of money for a day laborer. So much smaller amount of money. It's about a 60th of a talent. He gives 10 of his servants, each a minus. Now, if you remember, remember the talents. In that story, in that parable, the servants each got differing amounts according to their ability. One got five, one got two, and one got one. In this, you got 10 servants all lined up, and they each get the same amount. And what's the command? Look down in your Bibles. What's the command given? Do business until I return. Okay, I'm going to go do business until I return. I, I don't know, I feel like someone should write a really catchy like hip-hop track called Do Business. <laughs> I would love that. I would listen to it on loop, probably. Okay, so they says, do business until I return. Verse 14. So, so far, we've got two characters. We've got the nobleman and we've got the servants. Now, introduced to the third character. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. There's a group of people, the citizens of the land, separate from the servants that say, we reject his authority over us. We don't want it. We're not interested. Hashtag, not my king. We know that one? Okay. So they, they send that delegation and reject his authority. And the other servants go about doing business, except for the one that hides it in the handkerchief. So... The king comes back now with all authority and rule. And the first thing he does, verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom, the money, uh, to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. This is what he's after. He's, he's just left. He's come back and he wants to know, what have you gained? I gave you a job to do. I gave you resources to do the job. What have you gained by doing business? And then the servants come. And the first one comes and says, hey, I took what you gave me, and I multiplied it by 10. Awesome. You are going to be in charge of 10 cities in the kingdom. Perfect. Second guy says, I took what you gave me, and I made it, I multiplied it by five. Awesome. You're going to be in charge of five cities in the kingdom. And we only actually see the master address three servants. We don't know what happened with the other seven. I have some theories, but we'll get into that another time. Extra biblical. I don't know. It's fun. 
Uh, and so then they come to the last guy, and he says, listen, I know you're a hard man. I know what you ask is difficult, and I didn't want to lose the money you gave me, so I hid it in a handkerchief. So I'd have it when you come back. Which, incidentally, is the exact opposite of what he was asked to do. What was he asked to do? Do business. Whoever said that, you get an extra star. <laughs> to do business until I return. He, was, he knew how hard it would be. Making money with investments is challenging. It's, it's tough work. You invest in a restaurant, it falls through, whatever. And he, because he's so afraid of that, he just doesn't follow through and doesn't obey. Doesn't obey. And then, of course, finally, uh, uh, and so he, the master calls him a wicked servant, takes this investment that he gave to him away, gives it to the guy who made 10. And then what's the final act? What's the final thing that happens? Yeah, slaughter. Okay, that's a one-word summary. Yeah. He, inv he says, where are these citizens that rejected my authority? Bring them here before me and slaughter them. Now, what this is painting a picture of in the first century mind is of the, the, the end of all days, judgment day, the day where, where reward is handed out, where judgment is meted out to those who rejected the authority of the king. And so as we're reading this, the clues for us, why is Jesus telling this parable? Does anyone remember? It's because they thought that the kingdom was going to come now. What's the hint that it's going to be a long time before the kingdom comes? It's right there at the beginning of the parable when it says, a nobleman went to receive for himself a kingdom in a far away land. Now, uh, travel today is really quick. When I moved here from Albania where I grew up, it took me 15 hours from stepping on the plane in Albania to landing in Portland. 15 hours, 6,000 miles in 15 hours. It's crazy. Back in the day, that's not how that worked. The journey from Jerusalem to Rome would be months long, take forever. And then once you're there in the ceremony and all that kind of stuff, you wait to see the emperor, that, you know, however long that takes, and then you get the blessing or the posting, and then the weeks journeying all the way back. That's a long time. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at with these people is, listen, you're thinking that the end of days is coming in like a week. And that's not, that's not where it's going. That's not what's happening. But what he's trying to get them to do is he's trying to get them to live in the light of the kingdom that's going to come. To think about it. To, to live proactively now in light of what's coming in the future. That's, that's what he's getting at. Now, if there are characters in the story, there's four characters. There's the nobleman slash king, the good servants, the wicked servant, and the citizens. Now, what we do is we now take what we know about Jesus, and we take what we know about reality, and we superimpose it onto the parable, and we start assigning roles. And that's good. That's what we're supposed to do. Who's the master? Who's the king? Great. Uh, yep, that's a good answer. Uh, always a good answer in church. Do we have time for a really dumb joke? Yeah. Rick is the only one who shook his head no. <laughs> so there's a Sunday school teacher, and she's, te I shouldn't tell this joke, it's not my note, I'm going to tell it. There's a Sunday school teacher, and she's teaching, and uh, she's trying to get the kids, she's describing a squirrel. She's like, it's small, it's brown, climbs up and down a tree, you know, it's got a big bushy tail, what is it, it eats nuts, and, and these little kids are just looking at her like, I don't know what you're going on, I don't know. 
So you say, what is this thing? What do you think it is? And finally, the smartest, sharpest little girl in the class raised her hand, and she goes, finally, and calls on her, you know, uh, Samantha, what is it? She goes, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> All right, that was, a, that was a good joke. Back, back to the teaching. Okay. The master is Jesus. We're the servants. We're the people of God. We, we're the ones who've been given a job. We're the one who've been given an investment to do something with while the master's away. And then, of course, the citizens who reject the king are the same citizens in this world who reject the lordship of Jesus. Those are the characters. So if we are the servants of the king, we should be thinking, how does this then apply to me? What does, what does doing business mean for me, for you? It's an interesting question. It's the command we've been given. We've been given an investment. What do we do with that? And I think that I fall prey to this all the time, that I think that the reality is what I do now, does it really matter all that much? And, and, and I know cognitively, I believe, yes, what I do in this life matters deeply, but the reality is I, I go through so much of life on autopilot just getting through the day. Do you know what I did? I was late to set up this morning because I was leaving my house and I realized I was in the turn lane to go to Westside where I used to work for the last 11 years. I'm sitting, I was sitting there. I'm like, and then the Bible just starts coming to me. That's not who you are. That's your old identity. You know, live, live into who you are now, you know? And I just realized I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm on autopilot. I'm just on autopilot. And by the way, I get on autopilot when I'm like still tinkering with a sermon in my head, which is what I was doing this morning. It's so bad. I'm on autopilot. I walk in those doors here to help set up, and I've got my bag, and I've got my phone, and I'm carrying a box of tissues. I have no idea how they got there. <laughs> I just like, I don't know. Okay. So I walk back to my car. I put in my car. I'm like, <laughs> you stay there. I came back in. 30 minutes later, I'm looking for my water bottle. I'm like, where's my water bottle? Anyone want to know where my water bottle was? It's in the car! I was trying to grab my water bottle. The point is, okay, we can stop laughing at me being dumb. The point is, we go through life on autopilot, thinking we know what's important. And the reality is, we've got to stop and think, yeah, the master's gone away. And that's what he is saying. The master's gone for a bit. He's not here carnationally other than us, his people. We have the responsibility to follow through on the investment that he's made in us and given to us and live differently because of it. You know, and I think part of the reason is I'm not thinking very much about how this life really, really translates into the next one. And there's a lot of thinking that goes into this. There's a, uh, in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And we start to see this correlation between how and what we do here having an eternal impact. It's fascinating. We see it again here in this parable. 
we see the servants being faithful and being rewarded for what they were faithful with in the future kingdom because of what they did while the master was absent. What we do now echoes throughout eternity. Suddenly, how we, what we do this afternoon starts to matter a little bit more in our souls. It matters in our hearts. It stirs something within us to say, maybe I should be living for something more than the weekend. Maybe I should be living for something greater than the next vacation or the next paycheck. Maybe I should be investing in this kingdom that's coming. Maybe I should be living as a servant of the king. And, that, and I don't, I mean, that's what's just been stirring in my heart all week long. And that's, if, if there's two messages, if there's two messages that this parable has, one is live in light of this future kingdom. And the second is this theme of lordship. This theme of who really is the king. I want you to look down at your Bibles, just for, spend a couple moments, and just count the number of times you see the word Lord in the parable. Or we could listen to an iPhone read it to us. Okay. Oh, no, Mona, I love you so much. It's a lot. It's a lot. The, the Greek word there, I'm skipping the first slide. Sorry about that. Could you pull up the kyrios slide? The Greek word for Lord is this word kyrios. And it means Lord. It means master. It means owner. And, and, and we see this repeated, 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 not just here in this parable, but we see it all over the place. Now, the question is, who is Lord? It, it, in the West, what we've done is we've, we've, taken, we've taken these beautiful passages and we've made them all about belief, about having right theology, about believing the right thing. And that's, that's right, but James 2, 19 says, you believe that God is one? Good, even demons believe and shudder. Demons have excellent theology. They do. They were there. They understand and know what the truth is and work to subvert it. What you and I are called to do is surrender our lives to the Lord. Now, I want to look at Zacchaeus again really quick. It's not because he's short. It's just really quick. Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. What did Zacchaeus not say? I didn't hear the sinner's prayer. I didn't hear, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I didn't, he I didn't hear that at all. I didn't, I, I don't, I, he probably had awful theology. He's been, a, he's, been a, he's been a follower of Jesus for like 10 minutes. His theology is not great at this point. I guarantee you, I've been around new Christians enough. What's going on? Where, where, did, this sal where did salvation come, take place here? What does Zacchaeus call Jesus? Kyrios, Lord. 
we have a surrendering here, a kneeling before the authority of the king. And if you look at this parable, it's all about authority. You've got, you've got a ruler who's leaving and he's giving commands and his servants are obeying his rule. And you've got citizens rejecting his authority, rejecting his kingship. And you've got servants that are following through. The servants that confess, yes, he is my Lord, and then follow through on that. And then you have the servant that confesses he's my Lord, but then doesn't follow through on what he professes to believe. If you say with your mouth, what? That Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, then you'll be saved. We've chopped that verse in half. We've made it all about belief. If you just believe, if you just believe, if you just believe. And part of the reason we've done that, the, I don't have a slide for this, but the Greek word for believe is pistis. And it's what we often translate faith or belief. And it's really, it's really good, but uh, you know how we have the word faithfulness? Does it, isn't it weird that faith just pretty much just means cognitive belief, but then faithfulness means loyalty, even though it's the same word? It's because it comes from this Greek word pistis, which pistis is, is, is a surrender to. Pistis is a, is a trust in, but surrender beneath. Have you guys heard of Josephus? He's a first century historian. And Josephus was a general in the Jewish-Roman War of AD 66. And he records an incident where he's talking to another Jewish man who's a rebel, who's not a part of the team. And he says to him, repent and believe in me. Pistis in me. Now, Josephus is not asking this guy to confess all his sins and believe that Josephus is a deity. What's Josephus asking for? Obedience, allegiance, loyalty. And that's what this parable is about. Is who's Lord? Who's the king? And then where's he going? And how do I follow him? How do I, how do I make my life revolve around following this king. And as I was thinking about this this week and marinating in it this week, I think in large ways, family, yeah, my life is submitted to the lordship of the king. You know, I, I love my wife. I, I take care of my kids, or my child, sorry. I, I work hard. I do these things because I'm submitted to the lordship of the king. But do you know where I'm catching myself a lot is on autopilot. The reason why we have this commandment is because the master's, master said, I'm going away for a while to receive a kingdom, but I'm coming back. We need to remember that. We need to remember the king is coming back. Not only is the king coming back, he's given me, he's given me resources to do with. How do, I, how do I do business until he returns? Could you pull up that slide by N.T. Wright? <clears throat> this is from N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. If you haven't read it, repent and believe in me. <laughs> this is a good book <laughs> to read. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, yes, okay, singing, sewing, praying, 
teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. And I love that he uses the word kingdom here because that's exactly what's going on. Jesus is the king and he's our king. And we live in the light of that reality now. And where I'm catching myself is I'm catching myself on autopilot, just going through the day. What's the next meal? Okay. What's, what's, what are we doing tomorrow? Okay, we're doing that tomorrow. Okay. Let me just, oh, I don't even bring my phone up with me. Let me just do this for a little bit. You ever, when we're doing this, we're fully engaged. But this is what it looks like from the outside. Might as well just be like staring at my belly button or something. I'm just not moving. <laughs> I'm just sitting here. I'm just sitting here. Let's go, gang. Let's go. There's a whole, there's a whole world, a whole city out there that needs Jesus. And we got to go. We've got to go. We've got to get out of this navel-gazing theology, and we've got to say, let's go. That's where our king is. And he's given us this, this minus to do something with. And what we do with this life right now matters. And we've got to follow through, and we've got to pursue. So, uh, the teaching's not quite over. There's a little bit left at the end. But what I want to do is I want to invite up Nikki and Consuela up here to share about their story of two weeks in Peru. And this is a great example of surrendering to the king, because two weeks is a ton of time, ladies. We're very impressed. It's a ton of time. And the kids are going to be coming in here in a little bit, too, because we want them to hear uh, this story. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and close up shop, and then when you guys are done, I'll pop back up. Uh, but thank you guys so much for going, and we're so excited to hear what it was like. So here you go. Thank you. Okay, um, bear with me. I see Suela brought notes up. My daughter this morning was like, just recite it to me. I'm like, I have nothing written down, Delilah, but thanks. So bear with me. Um, I'm going to show you a few slides of just the progress of the farm build, and then Suela's going to talk about relationship building. So we showed up on um, August 6th to this. Um, this is like the backyard of a school building. Um, there's a home here that one of the cooks of the schools lives in, and then you can kind of see a concrete wall there. Um, that was a school, a school room. So this, this um, ground, we um, walked out onto it, and it was like a sponge. Um, I have a video, but it was too much content to be able to send. There was a full-size man that walked out onto it, and the ground just, like, sunk underneath him. So when we showed up, we had planned to just pour some gravel and build the aquaponics farm there. But the aquaponics farm, in some places, is as heavy as three SUVs. So this ground was not going to hold it. We decided, um, after about five minutes of consulting with each other, that we had to pour a slab. 
Um, and that was going to take, we found out in about a half an hour, three days that we had not accounted for. So um, go ahead and go to the next one. Um, we had to do it. There was no other choice. And they gave us a quote, and the quote was for two inches of concrete, and obviously that was not going to hold. That's just how they pour concrete there um, in Peru and in that part of Peru. Um, mind you, this is in the jungle. We're in Iquitos. It's the biggest city in the jungle. The only way there is by boat or by plane. They just do things differently there, much differently. Um, so we had to teach them how to pour four inch thick concrete and then you can see here we taught them how to put rebar in it for extra support because that's where um, our tanks were going to sit and you can see there we've got one tank that we um, had to have buried for it was our sump tank. Um, so before this happened you can see the orange pipes are sticking out that's our plumbing we dug trenches like day one as soon as we were there um, feet on the ground and and working and we had all we had traveled overnight, so we're just like running on adrenaline at this point. Um, and you can see some of the bars are up. We had to um, real quick make our plans for the greenhouse um, structure to enclose it. Um, so anyway, at this point, we've got cement starting and plumbing started and um, the poles in. Also, I should note that that <laughs> tank that's buried, when we started to dig to put it in, um, we got about two feet down, and we noticed that there was like this liquid of sorts that was seeping into the hole, and um, it was just getting worse as we got down. We got about four feet down, and we were running out of daylight, so we had to stop for the day. The next morning, we got back, and it had the hole had filled back up with, it looked like diesel. It was just... Yeah, water and oil, it was disgusting. So fortunately, one of the local guys from the concrete crew um, hopped in, drained it, and finished digging it out for us. So, okay, go ahead, sorry. These are just some of the conditions that we were dealing with. It was um, just things that we couldn't have imagined. Um, and we just kind of account for like, these things are just gonna happen on these farm builds. So um, this is, so where we actually built the farm, the farm location is back there past these couple of school rooms. And this is just a covered area also in the back of the school um, that the kids were using, you know, like the preschool classes were using this outside space and they graciously let us take it over for a couple of days while we um, were doing painting. And um, so all of these, the blue structures here are the grow beds that we had to, um, Every piece of metal that was delivered, we had to wash it with acid and then prime it and then paint it and then it was welded. Um, so that's just part of the process. And then these pink things here are the float beds that we dropped all of the plant starts into. So this was kind of um, our workspace. So go ahead. And then this is back at um, the actual farm site after we got some concrete poured. And this is our farm manager, Willie. He's um, a local Peruvian, and it's his parents that started this school, and um, it's his mom that you guys saw in the video a few weeks ago um, that or she and her late husband had just this dream and this passion to start the safe home. So um, I think we mentioned we couldn't build the farm at the safe home because they didn't have reliable um, electrical and water. So it's here, and um, it's feeding the girls at the safe home, but it's also feeding the kids at the school. So anyway, he and his son were <laughs> painting this cute picture. Okay, go ahead. And you could see in the last picture also we were getting some cross beams up and stuff. So fast forward a few more days, and um, we had a pretty much complete farm. So this is um, grow beds are in, they're lined, um, float bed is in, this one over here. You can go to the next one. We've got a gravel bed as well. So um, deep water um, or deep root plants 
are in the gravel bed, and then you can see the tanks in the back. Go ahead to the next one. So this is just kind of a glimpse of how the aquaponic system works. There's this whole plumbing system that runs from the tanks. Those two lighter colored tanks have fish in them now. Um, and then the plumbing system just connects all of the um, grow beds and the tanks together. So uh, on to the next one, this is the outside view. We put up the plastic roofing and connect and did the siding. Um, and the next one, this is our team. So um, there's Suela and I and the other amazing volunteers. This is Willie, the farm manager here, and Jose was the local welder who totally saved our butts. <laughs> Um, and then Mercedes there standing next to me is Willie's mom, who um, is just the beautiful soul that had this wonderful dream. And the next slide, I think, yep. So we, this is just um, what FFC does. We complete a farm and then we pray over the farm with the local leaders and um, just pray for God's hand to be on it and to um, feed and nourish those who it's intended for. So. Um, just also a quick little note, this is the local farm manager's um, father-in-law. Really cool, just um, God thing that happened while we were there. We found out that um, Willie's father-in-law is a biologist. He's a missionary. He, that's how um, Willie met his wife. They're, she was raised as a missionary kid in Europe, or I'm sorry, in Peru. And um, they now live in Honduras, and he's trained in biology and has been trying to do an aquaponics farm at his church. And so he just submitted his application to Fly Fishing Collaborative to have a team go out there and build a farm for him as early as next year. So just that's a divine thing that only God could orchestrate and um, for him to be able to be there and see firsthand how the aquaponics farm would be working and the materials that we would need will just, um, if it really happens, it'll just make the process go so much smoother. So anyway, love that this um, beautiful moment got to be captured. So um, I think the next one is where Consuela is gonna pick up. So that's so cool to see. I hadn't seen it like all nice, that progression. But um, yeah, I just wanted to share a little bit about kind of some of the opportunities that God provided on the team. Um, so Willie, as he, he's the pastor of the church there, um, he found out that I led worship sometimes here and he invited me and Bucky's son Crosby to join their worship team practice, just kind of to hang out. But then we ended up um, actually doing worship with them and I got to sing with this girl, her name's Perla, she's from Venezuela, and she was um, kind of there as a refugee, and um, it was really an awesome experience for me to be able to use, you know, the unique different gifts that I have um, there in Peru and make more connections, and so I was able to sing with her, um, and the song that we sang, well, we sang No Longer Slaves in Spanish, which is a beautiful song, right, about not being a slave to fear anymore, which I found really meaningful just because a lot of this travel for me has been stepping outside of my fear and doing things that are not always um, in comfort zone. And then the other song that we sang, um, the chorus was Todo lo bueno, perfecto regalo viene de ti. And it's the verse of everything, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, right? And I just felt like that was a theme of this trip was that every good thing comes from the Lord. Um, that sometimes we don't expect good things because we don't always trust that God is good or we forget that he's a good father, that he doesn't change, you know, there's no shadow of change. And I really felt that in Peru, that in the face of so many really hard things, 
that God is just comp- constantly giving good things. Um, so you can go to the next picture. Um, another way that God was able to provide really relational opportunities was with the kids at the school. Um, one in particular, um, she's right here, Crystal. Um, I ended up through a strange series of events, um, just discovering that she was really struggling with depression, and we were able to talk together about that. Um, and because I've worked at Salude for the last year working with mental health in Spanish population, I was able to speak, talk about mental health a lot better, probably in Spanish, than I would have otherwise. And um, when I was singing for her the next day after we'd had that conversation, she was literally like wiping away tears as I was singing. <laughs> and it was just a really beautiful moment, again, of God like using this particular areas that he's prepared me for to be able to just have that connection and hopefully bless her. And we're friends on Facebook now, so we message. And <laughs> I'll just continue to pray for her and hope that God continues to seek her out and help her. And again, like in the midst of the depression, hopefully show her that he's good and show her that he, every good thing is from him. So you can go to the next picture. Um, okay, so this was, so we got an opportunity to visit the safe home that this aquaponics farm is going to be supporting. And we're not allowed to show the faces of the girls because for safety reasons, right? But um, these are the four girls that are at the house right now. And um, it was a really unique, it was really beautiful to be able to go and see the tangible effects of what God is doing in their lives of giving them a safe home out there. And um, I was able to talk to them about their families and what's hard for them about living there, what's good about living there. And um, my friend Cami and I, who went out there, got to pray over one of the house moms and kind of encourage her because it's a really difficult job to be watching these girls. Um, they're all really young. I think the youngest was 13. The oldest was 17. Um, and they've all been rescued out of trafficking. Um, so that was a really cool experience to kind of just see what we were actually supporting and doing um and i just like after listening to daniel's teaching i thought it was really beautiful to point out that your midases <laughs> as a congregation that your talents were what made it possible for me to go and for nikki to go um that i really re- like relied on knowing that you would be generous and that um yeah, in a really in a really tangible way that you provided your resources and supported and made it possible for me to go do this. And I think that's really beautiful. And I wanted to thank you for that because it's a really beautiful and active way to invest what God's given you. Um, so I just wanted to thank you guys for that and just share a little bit about what happened. And there's a lot of other really little, little stories that I love to tell and just little ways that God um, blessed the trip. So you can go to the last slide. So there's Nikki and I. <laughs> At Machu Picchu, we got to, at the, at the, after working for 10 days, we got to go to Machu Picchu, which was beautiful, and um, just to see God's creation in different places um, was incredible, and again, just shows that he's such a good father. So, yep, that's kind of what I got. <laughs> Now, I know when we hear stories like that, sometimes it can be intimidating because, you know, that's a big trip. That's two weeks to huge expense. And I want to say, maybe God's calling you to do something like that. Maybe it's tough, but don't hide what he's given you in a handkerchief. Maybe you need to go. You know, there's something else. Uh, yeah, why don't the band come on up? Um, 
what, we, what I want to do now is we, we do this thing every week. Every, every week, we gather together, we, we sing songs together, there's music playing, and we stand up and we worship. And this is one of the moments in our week, every week, that is as close to heaven as possible, where the people of God are gathered together and are worshiping. This is, this is what we're heading towards. When we're talking about that coming kingdom, we're going to spend a lot of time singing and glorifying and worshiping and praising. And I don't want you to let this moment pass you by. And often, I'll be the first to confess, I come into worship wanting to get something out of it. I want to have a moment. I want to, I want, I want to connect or I want to reflect on something. And we're here to worship God now. We are his servants. And we have a command. I'm going to read Psalm 150 really quickly. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. My ask is, family, in this next 10, 15 minutes, you would please leave, leave the baggage in your head, in your heart, to the side for just a second and exist as a being created to glorify your maker. To, to, to reflect, to, to cast, to shout, to sing everything that you've got to glorify the one who made you. I'm so excited for this time together, family. Now, uh, everyone, go ahead and stand up, and we can hit the lights, whoever magically made them appear. Uh, we're also in this first song. We're going to come to the table, and we're going to remember our Lord who died for our sins, whose body was broken for us, whose blood was poured out because of how we screwed up. And if you're new here, the way we do it here is you go anytime you want, in the next little bit, grab the bread and the cup. Uh, we've got uh, juice and wine there, so you can take the cracker and dip it in whichever you And you can bring it back to your table, or you can bring it back to wherever your family is. You can take it together um, when you're ready. But let's worship the Lord together. The tables are open, and let's sing. <laughs>